Today on the show, the gospel is for all times and places. So how do we communicate a single gospel message that transcends every culture? Whether or not we want to admit it, all cultures to some degree have a moral code or some sort of inherent code in which they operate. They may not have a list of 10 laws necessarily, but they're all operating on some sort of code of enoughness. And so I use a method, what I call teaching evangelism. And I show where the root problem goes back to Adam and that's the problem. And we're all Adam's progeny and we all act like Adam. And then jump forward to the last Adam and show how he fixed the problem of the first Adam. E.D. Burns, author and missionary, returns to the show. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Pokeman, Director of Advancement and Communication with ABWE, joined again by Scott Dunford, our good friend, West Coast Advancement Coordinator with ABWE, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Now, Scott, we've got a return guest to the show this week. Um, however, you did share with me offline that you'd like me not to uh, make you do the introduction because I always throw those at you real quick at the beginning of the show. I say, hey, introduce our guest. And of course, you need to fumble through your notes a little bit and, and make sure that you're ready. So maybe I'll just take that one for the team this week. How's that sound? I, well, I, even in, even how you framed it, I feel like you kind of threw me under the bus. So I'm not sure how to feel feel about that. I I feel like I, I feel like I'm ready for you to say, here's our guest, and I'm waiting for you to do it. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm throwing a curveball with, hey, suddenly Scott come up with something on the fly. So, hey, well, however you want to frame it, Alex, right. I want you to look good, man. I want you to feel good about no, yourself. No. So No, I, you're right. It reflects more on my poor, my lack of ability as a broadcaster, <laughs> throwing you those curveballs, not setting you up for success. I, and I'm I sorry. want the fastball. I want and, the and middle of the plate. Everyone, you know, I'm not a great hitter, so I need, I need it simple and straight. I'm not. It, it's me. It's not you. It's me. Wow. Uh, but we are excited that uh, we not only have exciting guests every week, but several return guests, uh, one that I've had the privilege of getting to know even more since our last conversation with him. I don't even know, uh, at least a year or two ago now. Uh, and that individual is E.D. Burns, who is the author of multiple helpful things. Most recently, The Transcultural Gospel, uh, put out by Founders Ministries. And I've got my copy here in my hands. Uh, oh, look at this. There's this... Uh, there's this quote on the back of it from this guy named uh, Alex Copeland. Yeah, that's I so want our weird. listeners that's, not that's... to judge the book by the by the guys that he could, could scrounge up to approve to uh, recommend it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> they could have found a much better person <laughs> to put on the back cover. But um, uh, but there's other good there's other yes. very good names and very good endorsements. Ed has been a missionary in the Middle East, East Asia, Alaska, and currently Southeast Asia, where he develops theological resources, and trains indigenous pastors and missionaries. From his international location, he also directs the MA in Global Leadership Program at Western Seminary. He's also the author of a Western, excuse me, Western. I've got, I've got uh, Western culture on the mind. Uh, he's the author of A Supreme Desire to Please Him, The Spirituality of Adoniram Judson, which we spoke with him about last time we had him on the show, and also The Missionary Theologian Sent into the World, sanctified by the word. And uh, also his paths do cross uh, with some of our own missionaries uh, with the agency that you and I both serve with, Scott. And so we're excited to have you back on, ED. Um, anything we missed with the bio? No, it's better than what I could have done. But thank you. It's great to be back with you guys. Looking forward to this. 
So tell us why this book, uh, The Transcultural Gospel, that title is, is loaded with, with claims that you're making about contextualization, about the way we communicate it. Why this book? I, well, a number of things. I think the, the, the main thing that made me actually write it was back in June or of 2019 or 2018, I was teaching some my students in the MA program and going through the what is now the contents of this book and got a lot of really great feedback from them. They're missionaries from around the world and just kept encouraging me to put it down in a book. So after years of working through these, finally put it down because so many people found it helpful. So that was probably anecdotally what made me actually write it. Uh, but philosophically, um, I think I've noticed over the years how noble hearted, good intended missionaries tend to maybe not be as precise with language, especially if they don't know the lang- the target language very well, and they, they can um, overstate the gospel, they can maybe underdefine or misdefine the gospel. And I started seeing lots of problems with the, the locals I work with, because most of my work is um, teaching pastors or training missionaries, and started seeing lots of confusion in terms. And so um, I thought, some some issues really need to be clarified when it comes to defining the gospel, the implications of the gospel, and the goals of the gospel, um, and kind of parsing terms and not just lumping everything into a gospel issue. Mm. Mm. So, so it feels like you're responding to something in the book. Uh, can you d- define what what is it that you were responding to specifically? Yeah, it's what I call, uh, and this is this is another book for the future, probably. Um, but the, the issue is what I call karmic Christianity. Um, and there's, as far as I know, that's kind of, that's original to me, but that's the idea, not that Christians are secretly practicing some sort of Buddhist or Hindu worship practices, but the idea that as human beings, we are all wired to abide by some sort of karmic system. And that doesn't mean, um, you know, Eastern religions, but it's basically kind of cause of effect or reciprocity based um, relationships, something where if you do this, then this will be the outcome. And for a lot of a lot of Christians around the world, uh, including ourselves, I mean, as as Westerners, I think we're we are primed for this, too. We, we seem to think, OK, well, I know I, I get saved in such and such way, but somehow I have to maintain God's blessings by doing enough. And so I call it the enoughness mm. test. You have to ask the question, what what are you what's the problem? And a lot of times people don't even know the problem, but they know what they need to do enough of to bring about a certain blessing or a benefit. And then when you can identify what what they're trying to bring about, you can then identify what is the problem they're trying to solve. And so I think it's a problem with discipleship and it's a problem with evangelism is people try to figure out what is the thing I have to do enough of in order to secure God's blessings and maintain God's blessings. And so I call that karmic Christianity. That's essentially what it is. It's a karmic Mm. system. And it's, um, so I'm responding to patterns of that I've seen in so many cultures around the world. To to put it a different way, uh, we're all kind of hardwired for the covenant of works. Mm. And uh, what's unique about the gospel is, is grace, uh, but it, it takes a lot to unlearn that as Christians. 
uh, but we also see that works orientation expressed in a number of different ways in cultures across the world. And so that's really what your book is responding to. For those who have been a part of this conversation in missiology over the last many years, uh, the critique comes at traditional Western missions that we're making too much of, perhaps, perhaps we're making too much of these ideas of guilt, innocence, righteousness. You're, you're standing before God in that, that final judgment, that, that legal sense. And uh, perhaps we need to separate our tradition from the text of Scripture a little bit and look at the Scripture a little bit more through perhaps the eyes of an Eastern culture or some other cultures that are less individualistic than ours, more collectivist. And so out of that has come a lot of conversation about, hey, maybe it's not just guilt and innocence. Maybe it's also honor and shame. Um, and and the goal of of receiving honor and and glory and attaining that status versus being shamed by your community that's maybe a different set of values than the ones that we t- typically articulate the gospel through. Um, a, another orientation would be fear and power, the way it's typically presented. If you're dealing in more tribalist, animistic cultures where there is regular interaction with ideas of the supernatural, sometimes interaction with the supernatural itself. Uh, on a frequent basis, you're living in power and you need to be, excuse me, you're living in fear and you need to be delivered uh, from that and you need to overcome that. Um, Again, a different set of values. And and of course, nothing that I I think I articulated there, nothing there is overly controversial. I think the controversy comes with the beginning of that, which is, you know, are these different sets of, of cultural orientations replacements of uh, or things that are in tension or conflict with those central gospel themes of guilt, of atonement, of righteousness, of salvation in that sense. And uh, and that's where a lot of the controversy has come. You respond to that. You reframe some of these. You also add a fourth. I listed three. You add a fourth, and then you argue that one of those value systems is at the top. And this book is basically you looking at kind of all of global cultures through that lens. So. Unpack that for us, if you would. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I the whole guilt innocence approach. Um, I don't. I don't even hold to that. I kind of reframe that to make it guilt righteousness, and I do that on purpose. And that's not a. Mm. That's not just a synonymous idea, um, because what 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 you have to do is okay. So we we can use cultural language insofar that it represents biblical meaning, but then you sometimes have to stop using certain terms and, and then start defining terms biblically speaking or, or upload them with theological meaning. And so a roundabout way of explaining it so that I'm, I'm just going to explain kind of the process of getting to where I got, um, you think about the word redemption. And a lot of times it's not unpopular to hear people say, well, in the New Testament, that was the idea of a Greek slave market. People would be redeemed out of it by being purchased out of it. That's so. Paul's Paul and the New Testament writers are just using cultural words and in ways that people understand. Well, yeah, they're using cultural words that people understand, but it's actually harking back to redemption from the Exodus in the Exodus from Egypt, and it's there's theological language underneath the surface of common cultural usage. And so it's for the same reason today, we wouldn't say, well, you know, when we're redeemed, we're, it's not like redeeming a coupon at the store. You know, we, we, we might use that word, but there's whole theological baggage to it. So in some ways you have to, 
you have to look at the surface level of language, how it's being used, and then think biblically, how do I not necessarily reinterpret it, but how do I reorient it around the Lordship of Christ and make it fit a theological whole that has the patterns of which the Holy Spirit has been pleased to illumine throughout church history. So you want to look for those top tier level primary doctrines that the Spirit seems to have illumined across languages, across generations, across cultures that that permeate the, the witness of church history. And so you look at the creeds and the confessions, and um, you look at how the Holy Spirit has led the people of God in the community, the global community to uh, affirm, say, just the Apostles' Creed. And then you start keying in on those. And so then that comes to the issue of guilt innocence. Is guilt innocence um, a Western paradigm? Well, maybe, but then you have to ask the question, where where did the West get it from? It wasn't, you right. know, I, I it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but before the gospel entered Europe, I mean, the Northern barbarian tribes were just a bunch of naked blue painted savages running around worshiping trees, you know, to put it kind of <laughs> bluntly, but the gospel right. reformed well, people. And, and ED, if I could hop in real quick, you, yeah. you mentioned something a few times that I just think is important that I don't want our listeners to miss, which is um, to a certain degree, and this is not to say that the church is incapable of getting it wrong. We absolutely can, right? That's why we had a whole reformation. Um, but but looking at and trusting the way the Holy Spirit has worked through history, I think that's important. I think it's recognizing that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. He is in control, and he he hasn't been absent from church history. Um, things that have popped up sometimes pop up in error. Uh, in 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 Christian history, of course, but uh, but the Holy Spirit is is guiding the ship, and so things that have developed, you know, we all adopt, we all really embrace globally the Apostles' Creed. That's not really controversial among Christians, right? So let's see the Holy Spirit's um, activity behind that, and and mm-hmm. and we can say, yeah, that's providential. Yeah, and I think that's important not to miss. Continue though. Yeah. So I mean, the the issue of guilt. Well, okay, okay, in. In Western post-Enlightenment democracies, let's just say, innocence is its logical corollary. Um, you, okay, we have laws and the government mandates that you do not murder or do not steal or whatever, but it doesn't, it does not mandate that you love your neighbor as yourself. It does, it does not mandate that you, you, you know, give compassionately to the poor or whatever. Um, but the Bible does. The Bible has, you know, laws against, you know, committing guilt or committing things that would make you guilty. But it also has proactive laws that mandate righteousness. And so that's part of the human problem is not just that we we can't remain unguilty, but we can't earn righteousness. And so when you are justified, it's not that you're declared innocent. That's what happens when you're forgiven but you're declared righteous, that means you are a law keeper, not just a law breaker. And so that's, that's where the, the biblical paradigm takes what is maybe common, commonly used in Western language, guilt, innocence, and it reorients it under the word of Christ and takes it up a step and shows that, no, your problem is not just that you can't stay unguilty, but your problem is that you can't earn righteousness. And so through faith, you are imputed 
with Christ's righteousness and alien righteousness and all its benefits. And that's that's what I'm pointing out is that faith alone is the instrument that lays hold of the benefits and the blessings that Christ has earned and legally made yours through his righteousness by faith alone. And those would be things like the strength of Christ, Christ our 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 power, Christ our strength. He is um, you know, his grace is sufficient for us. Christ is our freedom. Um Christ is our peace, and um, Christ is our honor. He is our name. He's our reputation. He's 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 our big brother, in whom we're to whom we're united. And and that's also helpful. You're talking about union with Christ is at the center of this. So mm-hmm. we're debating these different paradigms, and maybe some of the controversy does, not goes away. Not not that it's insignificant, but. A lot of the the tension and the rough edges, I, th- I think, are resolved in recognizing, yeah, all of Christ's benefits are ours through right. union with Him. His honor is our honor. His righteousness is our righteousness. Um, we're seated with Him in the heavenlies over all of these principalities and powers that afflict uh, cultures in less developed and developed parts of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have power with Christ in a certain sense spiritually as well. Um, Scott, I see your your furrowed brow deep in thought. I don't know if that's just a contemplative furrowed brow or if that's a question brewing. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Mr. Dunford? Well, um, yeah, thanks. That's, that wasn't a curveball. It was just a fastball. So, yeah, no, I, as you were talking. You said you wanted them fast. No, that's good. As you were talking, I, I was just questioning in my mind, is that um, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure that anything you just said, Alex, is controversial. I, uh, I, I should hope not that that's kind of the way I hear it. Class is classically understood, you know, is that the gospel as it's fully explained, um, does understand, you know, our honor is in Christ. Our freedom is in Christ. Our, uh, Christ has the power to the power to free us from fear and, and, and guilt. So that that's oh, yeah. kind of what more I was thinking is, is that I'm not sure that even in the, in the, uh, classic honor, shame, discussions that that's what's that's what's at stake i think the, you know one of the questions and i i'd like to maybe get to this a little bit later because i'd like to kind of dig a little deeper on some of the things that that you were saying there ed um is like are is it one one presentation to the exclusion of others or one have to be predominant over the others or do they all have a do they all have a part of of, of making sure that we're fully explaining the gospel, not just from a perspective that makes the most sense to us as Westerners, but as the gospel that makes that makes the most sense to the whole world. Um, I don't know if I'm making, I don't even know if I'm right. making sense. Well, the title of the book is The Transcultural Gospel. So maybe, Scott, the question is like, what is that transcultural gospel? Is it a combination of all of these or is it one at the expense of some of the others, right? Yeah, no, I was just trying to, I was just trying to, to understand what you felt like the controversy was there. And, and that, that, so my furrowing wasn't really for you. It was more just contemplation. But I would love to hear you, as we go deeper into this, ED, I'd love to hear you explain a little bit more. So you don't just reframe this idea of, of guilt and how you're, how you're framing it as uh, righteousness, which I really appreciate. Um, but how, how do you reframe some reframe some of these other dynamics? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess the the issue that I've responded to is what I've observed on the field. Like, um, I'm going to just give a very generic anecdote. In a yeah. conversation with um, a missionary working in a Buddhist context, where a lot of my work is, um, and we're we're just talking about a particular people group 
in a country north of us that we both have similar desires to reach. And he's a really good brother. I really actually have learned a lot from him. But one time in a um, conversation, I said, so how do you explain the gospel to such and such group? And uh, and he, he went through and he talked about a, a variety of things that weren't really gospel related. He kind of just gave examples of how he, how he talked. And then I said, so how do they respond? He said, um, they must keep covenant with God. That's, that's how they respond. And I said, well, well, what do you mean? He said, well, um, they're, they come from an honor shame culture and they, they, uh, they abide in community and they know what it means to be loyal to their community. And so they need to be, they need to be loyal to God. And I said, so what about faith alone? He said, well, that's just a Western construct. They need to be faithful to God to, to be saved. And, wow. and, and so I've, how many times I've had this conversation in a variety of scenarios. He's, he's a Westerner, but he's not, he's not American. He was, he was from another country. Um, good guy. He's just, again, it's just kind of, it's sloppy language. And then if you push back and then they say, well, faith, you know, Histos bestuo can be translated as faithfulness, and then they kind of go down that road, and and say, well, in their culture, that's how they understand it. And so, you you're creating what 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 it is is there's people who are used to law codes, rules, rituals, yeah. and then Christianity is introduced, and it's it's a lateral move from one works based orientation to another, and it makes sense to them. But that's why it's attractive to some missionaries is because it makes sense is there's no scandal. It's just an alternative way of doing things, especially in a mm. Buddhist or Hindu background where there's a variety of ways of doing things. It's just another wise way of doing things. It's proverbial works. And so, well, just to, just to go along with that. Um, I, I, I do think this is, this happens a lot with missionaries as well, where um, they get a whiff of uh, idea mm-hmm. or like they get exposed to an idea in a training mm-hmm. seminar, you know, they sit through a seminar yeah. And I mean, I've, I've seen it because I've taught some of these seminars and then, then they, they take that nugget of understanding and then apply mm-hmm. it like in, in all sorts of all ways the nuances and just run down that road without really having d- dug into, you know, what the author mm-hmm. that was being presented really meant by it or digging it d- deep enough and deep enough to actually use it in a meaningful way. It just gets applied as, Hey, I got a, I got a new toy and, and you know, this or a new, I got a new hammer and now I'm hammering all the nails that I see, even though some of them aren't nails. Uh, you know, do you think that's part of this problem is maybe like a lack of understanding of what's being meant by, by some of these terms? Yeah. And I mean, it's for that reason. And, and even the reason that you, you kind of mentioned in side in passing there about the author, not really knowing what he meant. Well, sometimes that's just their problem is they're not clear enough. Sometimes they, they maybe they are trying to make a big enough impression mm. to change course and they overstate the case. And, you know, we're all creatures of extremes. And we're all reacting to something in some way, shape or form. And we're just the fact that God uses any of us is pretty amazing. But, you know, we all we all have our blind spots and some of those we True. we don't have been aware of. But I think it's a combination of some of those authors are trying to emphasize something to the exclusion of not emphasizing something enough. And then the, the really impressionable, enthusiastic young missionaries get in there, they hear it and they run with it. And there's no quality control in the field. It's a, it's a high trust, low accountability area when you're on among the fr- front lines unreached. And 
you know, one of the best ways to create an unreached people group is to inoculate them with just enough Jesus so that they think they know the Jesus of the Bible, but they don't. And it's just a syncretistic religion. And then it's generations before you can actually pull out those weeds. So here's a question for you. Let's speak to that missionary. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hopefully not the one who's in grave error. They exist, but um, the the missionary who heard something at a training um, found it useful. Oh yeah, honor and shame, right? And mm-hmm. but but maybe um, things go a little bit out of proportion um, mm-hmm. when you sort of run with something and put it into practice, and some of the nuances lost of that, as as Scott was saying. Mm-hmm. Help that person understand because you're not denying that there's different cultural systems um, and and different mm-hmm. ways in which we can categorize cultures. That's the premise of your whole book. And you're saying, hey, the gospel speaks transculturally to all of them. Um, so, so help that person understand the ordering and ranking of priority, uh, prioritization of those systems. Uh, are all five of those systems, uh, or four, uh, are they all four even in, in, in priority? Is guilt innocence at the, the center? Is union with Christ at the center? And then all of them, including guilt, righteousness, are kind of, uh, in orbit around it, or is it like, it, it, if you pardon the the really long question, but is union with Christ at the center, and then in in orbit around that is guilt righteousness, but then in in orbit around guilt righteousness are all of the other ones. So is it is it near to the center? Got a lot of orbits, right, but the right, but you know, is it, which one is central and which one is really driving? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so. Um, Union with Christ, we were, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, you know, in, in some way, we are united to him even before our creation. Um, and so that's part of our story. If, if we are saints or will be saints, we are, is we've been united with Christ. But the effect, the benefits, the blessings of Christ are ours since the cross and the resurrection because he earned all righteousness for us and imputes us legally with his right standing and all its derivative blessings. Mm. So that's that's mm-hmm. the legal linchpin. And whether or not we want to admit it, all cultures to some degree have a moral code or some sort of inherent code in which they operate. They may not have a list of 10 laws necessarily, mm. but they're all operating on some sort of code of enoughness. And so, I mean, even mm. in say Islam, there, there may be familial cultural codes that they follow to honor their parents or, or whatever, but it comes down to the fact that they want to be obedient to Sharia. That's, that's the main issue is Sharia law dr- drives them. Now, culturally, in their familial communal relationships, they want to honor their parents, but it, it comes down to that's the, most, that's the most righteous, honorable thing they can do in obedience to the laws of Islam if they're working to earn paradise. And so even, even atheists have their own internal moral code. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's a moral code in and of themselves. And that's where you get the individualistic paradigm. And people have, they, they create their own internal codes by which they, they follow in order to earn some level of, you know, experiential narcissistic freedom because they're running from bondage to external pressures or external authorities. But it is a code that if you do enough of this, then this will be your outcome. And so what I do is I listen for um, what, what I would say to these young missionaries or just 
you know, missionaries who are still quite teachable, who are just kind of struggling with how do I make this work is I listen for language of enoughness. I, I ask them, okay, let's say they go to temple and they're spinning the prayer wheels or something, and they just do it because this is what they've always done. But I'll ask them, um, so what's, why do you do that? And, you know, it, it drills down to, well, I, I need to earn righteousness so that my family's business doesn't go under or we don't have another flood because last time uncle so-and-so he, he did all these terrible things. And then we had a flood in our village and we know that he, he brought bad karma on the village. Um, and so I have to go to temple and spin the prayer wheels or do whatever, burn the incense to maintain blessing for the village. And they live in, they live in fear and the alternative is not power, but peace. And so they're doing what they got to do to secure peace for their village and their family. And so then I ask, well, when do you know you've done enough? And, and then they say, well, I don't know, but I know that I'm doing enough now because we're not living under a curse or whatever. And, and then I, I, I start with the, what they feel to be the problem. And then I work backwards to the problem in Adam. I, I, I use a method, what I call just like teaching evangelism. And I, I have to, create biblical categories, un, you know, unpack the biblical paradigm and the biblical story and show where the root problem goes back to Adam. And I don't even, I don't even end with the root problem is in, in themselves. I, I, because, you know, we all have a corporate head. I, I talk about our, our corporate identity in Adam and that that's the problem. And we're all Adam's progeny and we all act like our, our grandfather, Adam. And then I, so I, I start with their experience and I move back to Adam and then jump forward to the last Adam and show how he fixed the problem of the first Adam. And, and I use their felt experiences to go back to the theological root. And that's typically how I do it. Validating the human experience of weakness, bondage, fear, shame, but showing how the problem is solved by the last Adam fixing the first mm. Adam's problem. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I like that. That's beautiful. What What's the biggest thing that you hope you're, readers walk away with with this volume and there's also a companion volume right yeah the 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 longer one so this one has no footnotes no bibliography um it's really it's just over 100 pages i guess just a bit over um i hope this one will be really useful for people that they can they can read it in a short week or read it on a retreat or something and just put into practice i have a lot of um conversations and and scenarios in there of when you're talking to a person from this kind of a culture, uh, maybe how do you lead the conversation? How, how do you follow the trajectory of the, what they believe to be their problem? And how do you show them what the real problem is carefully, cautiously, but theologically, um, you know, with precision. Uh, and so I hope this is really practical and I give some practical discipleship ideas for people who are stuck in their system and they just feel like they're afraid that God isn't blessing them. And so they, they feel like they got to do enough to make God happy with them again. Or, you know, they're struggling with why, why am I still weak when I'm supposed to be strong in Christ? What does it mean to be strong in Christ? Or what is this and that freedom in Christ? So I hope it's practical. The longer one ancient gospel, brave new world that should be out here in the next uh, month or so month or two, maybe. It's um, we're just we're just waiting on the forward right now, but that is the academic unpacking of this. So that's a that's a pretty heavy version that that does all the background work that if people are wondering, 
oh, I'd like to explore that more. Well, probably the ancient gospel Brave New World book will be much more helpful, um, mm. you know, for the curious mind. But this one is intentionally short, just just to get in the hands of people. Curious minds like Scott's, right? Now, I, one of the things that I like about the the book that I find helpful. And empathetic minds like yours, Alex. Yes. Um, I like the practicality of it. The the fact that, you know, if, if I've got a Buddhist friend, um, I may not be able to understand Buddhism mm-hmm. in one sitting. Um, mm-hmm. One could argue how much I need to. Uh, but what I can do is I can take some of those guiding questions and, and use that as a template for a conversation of, all right, how do I spot those patterns of, like you call it, enoughness uh, in that person and then point them to uh, the one who's done it all for us? Um, and, and that I think is, is something beautiful. Um, Scott, do you want to last, ask the last question? Well, yeah. And I, I kind of do, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to think through how, how we can help this to be most useful, because I, I think you've clarified a lot of the concerns that I think a lot of people would have, but I still, you know, I'm wondering about the, you know, how do we encourage the missionary who's, who's hearing some of these ideas, they may, you know, we need to encourage them obviously to sit down and really read and, and dissect and understand the whole, the whole aspect of the gospel. What would you say to someone who's saying, well, you know, some of these ideas, they seem to emphasize too much of like Paul's theology and they don't really emphasize, they don't really bring into full understanding. Um, you know, maybe this is a, a common, a common criticism that I've heard is, you know, they don't, our, 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 proclamation of the gospel so heavily relies on Paul and Paul's use of, of legal system and doesn't, doesn't fully appreciate, you know, John's writing or the gospels and how Jesus is teaching, or even the old Testament, how it points us to the gospel, or maybe even fully understanding all of the orb of the way Paul's describing the gospel. How do we, to, to, to try to narrow it down here, how do we put a check on our own uh, cultural bias, uh, as we're trying to find like, what is the scripture really teaching about the gospel? What, what would your encouragement be to a missionary who's wrestling with that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a valid, it's a valid question. Um, well, first of all, I would say read chapter four and five of my ancient gospel, brave new world that, that should <laughs> settle the score on that, on those, those types of questions, because what I do is I, I, I go back to Jewish writings, pre-Messiah Jewish writings, and show how the language of imputation and guilt righteousness emerges out of the Jewish tradition and is pervasive um, throughout the Old Testament, but even extra extra biblical pre-New Testament writings and the apostles carrying that along into the early church, the Gentile fathers of Latin fathers, Greek fathers, really borrowing those old Jewish paradigms. And you know, Roman Empire being transformed um, in some ways by by the church who is introducing these these transcultural paradigms that have been around for thousands of years. Um, I'd say it's it's not a Greco-Roman paradigm. It's um, it, it it really is rooted in the Hebraic scriptures. And I belabor mm-hmm. the point and go out of my way to show even even the early church how. Uh, means so many testimonies of the early church to the doctrine of justification and imputation that the Reformation recovered. Reformation didn't define, it just recovered what was already pervasive in the early church. Um, so go th- I do a lot of legwork showing that. But um, another thing I would like to say is that I wrote this not 
I mean, I started writing it more with a pastoral bent in it. In some ways, I, I had to write the ancient gospel Brave New World more as a an apologetic, just to academically buttress what I'm trying to apply in the transcultural gospel. But I wrote it with compassion because of how many missionaries, myself included, in so many seasons go through times of barrenness and that you cry out to God and you're asking God for help and for blessing and just for sustenance. And the only thing you hear is silence from mm. for you know, year after year after year. And all of a sudden your family loses their visa and you're you have to you have to leave the country in three days and you've left everything behind and you're back in your passport country and everybody thinks you're home, but you feel like you're a foreigner in your passport country. And and then there's that family that just everything's going well. Ministry is great. Kids love the Lord. Uh, the support's coming in. Health is really good. It's just everything is a blessing. And then, the, you know, the missionary sits in his room at night, just in the dark, wondering, what am I not doing enough of? Am I not, am I not sincere enough? Mm -hmm. Have I not surrendered all? Have Am, am I not praying rightly? I mean, what did I go to the wrong Bible school? Did I go to Bible school? Am I, what is wrong? Did I marry the wrong person? Is it that person that's slowing me down? Why is God doing this to me? And it comes down to the, it's, it's the issue of karmic Christianity. A lot of missionaries operate in this paradigm of just, they got to do enough or more or better so that God will really bless the ministry. Like those that we write biographies about who supposedly are those people who really surrendered all that that God really blesses those people. And I want to be like those people. Well, welcome to the normal Christian life. It's not like that for everybody. Some people, you know, put foreign armies to flight. Some people receive their, you know, their children back from the dead. Some people triumph. And then some people are tortured for Christ by faith. And so the book is hopefully an encouragement to people to press on and be okay with mm. never doing enough and knowing that, Everything you do is going to be riddled with sin, but you can sleep like God loves you and is sovereign. That'll preach. Wow. Yeah, we, we, we are all taken captive by these systems of enoughness, right? I mean, we can talk about Paul and we can talk about Leviticus and the guilt innocence thing is happening in, in Leviticus too. I mean, we can talk about the theological side of it, but wow, we all do fall into those patterns of, uh, of works righteousness and we need the gospel to deliver us from that. ED, thank you for joining us. And uh, you can get a copy of the book. Um, should be available wherever fine books on theology, missions, and practice are sold. Uh, I think founders.org would have it. And uh, we're thankful for you having it um, and, and contributing this conversation. To get more content uh, in that vein, go to missionspodcast.com. Subscribe to this show. And while you're here, remember to review and leave a five-star rating that helps us get this content in front of others. If you have a question or a comment, Alex at missionspodcast.com. And you can support us as well on our website. And until next week, thank you for listening. <laughs>